Welcome to Talking Property. Today I'm joined by SQM researchers Louis Christopher as we preview the second half of the 2023 Sydney property market. Louis, thanks for being here again. Nice to be with you once more, Peter. Uh, Louis, I'd like to cover off on your scenarios for 2023. They're yes. looking remarkably accurate, particularly your base case scenario one there. We might bring that slide up so that yes. we can have a look at it. Yes. It is being tested though, if we go to the first bullet point, interest rates to peak at a cash rate no higher than, than 4%. That's right. The RBA cash rate uh, at the time of recording is 4.1%. Yes. And, and it's probably not at the peak um, cash rate yet, given that inflation is hovering just below 7%. So how are you feeling about these uh, four scenarios that you outlined uh, last November? Yes, well, on our base case scenario now, we've got a half cross through it. So the probabilities have now swung significantly to our scenario three, which is the false dawn scenario. And under that scenario, the market initially recovers in 2023 from 20, the 2022 prices. But then in the second half of the year, we have a double dip downturn. Prices start to fall away again on the back of some pretty hefty interest rate rises. And at this point in time, you can see quite safely really that we're heading towards this double dip downturn. Uh, that's a pretty strong comment given uh, as we s sit here here and now, the Sydney property market is still rising. It's being tested almost monthly by Philip Lowe and the RBA. Yeah. Um, but you're pretty comfortable in saying that on your modelling as the mortgage cliff uh, hits household expenditure, um, that, that, that will uh, cause more sellers to enter the market or it will cause buyers to drop out of the market or a combination of both. I think in all this, it might be best to give your audience and yourself a bit of background in terms of how we came up with these numbers to yes. begin with. And this winds us back to November. So back in November, um, I did a survey of a number of uh, loan book managers that we, we know of um, through the other part of our business, which is issuing ratings on mortgage trusts and the banking sector. Uh, and we essentially asked them at what point would be crunch time for their lending book in terms of the cash rate? At what point would they believe that they would start to see forced selling? And the notion was somewhere between about 3.85% to 4.25%. And the median of that survey was about four. And so when we did our forecast for 2023, we had that in mind, had that very much in mind. And so we were very confident that we would see a recovery in the housing market. But yes, the big caveat for our base case scenario was that the cash rate had to go no more, rise to no more than 4%. And here we are at 4.1, potentially going higher. So this is why uh, we are now stating very publicly that our scenario three, our false dawn scenario, is looking like it's, uh, it's now got the highest probability of playing out. And we should point out that a cash rate of 4.1% equals a mortgage rate in round numbers of 6%, add 2%, is that fair? And a, a, a current uh, variable lending rate right now uh, is somewhere between 65 to 7%. So if the cash rate were to rise close to 5%, say 4.85%, yeah. um, we're talking a cash rate there of, uh, of over 7% comfortably. Well and truly, getting towards 8 Yeah. And, and households are just not equipped for that. 
Well, that, that, this is true, especially those borrowers who bought a home in 2021 on a fixed rate of, say, just 2% or 1.5%. And we know that uh, in the second half of this year, there's going to be a lot of resets. The, the peak of resets is actually happening as we speak. Um, and so if rates were to go higher from here, then I, I think the probabilities are almost certain we would see a rapid increase in forced selling activity. No doubt we'll see a slowdown in the economy. Let's face it, the house is the last thing that goes. Well, let's come, come to that point because I tell you what we're seeing on the ground, yeah. uh, Louis. Um, uh, clearly, the consumer confidence has plummeted. Yes. Um, if you walk past your favourite restaurant, you'll see that it's, it's nowhere near as... Uh, uh, busy as, as what it once was. The heyday is coming out of lockdown, that, that's right. That's right, and, and, and probably the, the most subtle um, trend that we have seen, but I find it very interesting, is where, and I'm hearing this across the industry, across the country, landlords are selling off investment properties to put the equity in that investment property back against the home loan. Um, and, and there was, a, uh, I think, a misguided view that as interest rates go up, people would be forced to fire sale their family home um, but the fam it looks like the family home um, is, you, you know, is, is, sancti is sanctity and, and people are looking to do everything they can to hang on to it. And they're it, cutting it, back in every other area. It is sanctity. Other than the, private the, the private home, yeah. Now, spot on, Peter, but let's think about what that means, right? So they're cutting back on their expenditure. That creates a slowdown in the economy. Yes. The economy slows, unemployment starts to rise. When unemployment rises, that's when you see forced selling. It's one thing to cut expenditure to try and get by on your home, but if you've got no job, you have to sell. Yep. So is what we're talking about here the, the classic lag effect the RBA mentioned in almost every statement after an interest rate movement is that they're looking for signs of the lag effect. As you say, the peak resetting of um, COVID-era home loans is, is now, but we're not seeing it play out. Well, the they may today. be looking for signs for the lag effect, but the problem is that the lag effect means that there's not enough data right now to make a decision to have the insight because the data itself, which they rely on, is lagged. So there is a big question mark in terms of, you know, is this effect coming? When is it coming? They don't know those answers. And so the probabilities of the Reserve Bank of Australia overstepping, lifting interest rates too aggressively, um, is quite, it's actually quite high. Is the RBA trying to manage a soft landing or are they trying to break things and then try and put Humpty Dumpty back together again? I think they would love a soft landing. Uh, I think you know, they, they've spoken of their narrow path to a soft landing. If they were to manage to pull off a soft landing in the economy, that would kind of restore some of the reputation they've lost over the last two years. But I think that this narrow path they speak of is starting to turn into a tightrope. It, it is now... I would have to say the probabilities are, are greater than 60% we are actually going to have a recession. Louis, um, how concerned would the RBA be uh, about property prices rising, uh, homeowners refinancing against that newfound equity and continuing to spend in the economy as they were, therefore you know, maintaining further pressure on the inflation rate? Well, the Reserve Bank of Australia in its latest communications have pointed to the rising property market once again as being a, essentially an unwelcome event. That's front and centre of their thinking. It's, it's definitely one of the uh, factors right now in, in their minds, no question about it. 
So given the uh, immediate risks or near immediate risks that your data and your analysis is showing you on the horizon and the fact that property prices uh, are performing pretty well and have done for the last quarter, would you see this as a window of opportunity for prospective vendors coming to market? I think it, it is a window right now. There's still buyers out there despite the rate rises. Um, we just don't know how long that window is going to last. It may well last a long time. If the Reserve Bank of Australia were to pause at the current cash rate of 4.1%, then there is still a chance of a soft landing. It just means that us, SQN Research, as a forecast has just been a bit out in terms of working out where that crunch point is. Um, but the, the more they lift rates, uh, the, the higher and higher the probabilities of a hard landing, both in the economy and in the housing market. And it can come on quite swiftly, Peter. And let's, let's wind back all the way back to 1988 and 1989, just before the recession. You were around at that time. You will recall at the end of 1988, things were pretty strong in the housing market. Yes. The economy was regarded at the time as being running too strong being overheated. And, and then when we start running into, for example, 1989, it was still regarded as being running as being overheated and as well and truly into the beginning of 1990. And then suddenly it switched. It switched and, and the cool down happened and it came at a rate of knots. It, it really turned very quickly. I want to continue the discussion around the RBA because we've got some yeah. interesting dynamics that people will be watching. Now, yes. um, RBA Governor Philip Lowe's term is due for renewal in September. If the scenario that you've outlined continues to play out and the economy continues to head down that dire path, there will be additional pressure on Philip Lowe to back off. And if I can uh, draw your attention to to this slide here about the damage that could be done to Australia's reputation if, if the government is seen to be leaning on the, the RBA too much. They've already called for an overhaul of, of the RBA. What, what does this mean if the government start leaning on, 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 on Governor Lowe to back off on these interest rate rises when the economy, as far as economic purists go, feel that they should continue to contain inflation? Well, the government may well already be leaning uh, on low to back off. Um, I think behind the scenes, potentially there's a, there's a, a few communications going on there. Uh, but I think Lowe has made it very clear that he will act the way that the board believes best is for the economy. And so their view is that, okay, we need to essentially save a stitch in time and we need to ensure that we are on top of inflation because if we're not on top of inflation and it breaks out further, then interest rates would have to be lifted a lot further than where they are now. That's what he's trying to avoid. Now, his communication surrounding all that, I would only give him about a four out of 10 yes. in terms of how this has been explained to the community. Um, my view is that um, the, the probabilities are quite high that the government will have a new governor in come September and it'll be something that the, the government wants to occur. He'll be effectively punted. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I think there's a lot of angst in the community towards Lowe, rightly or wrongly, there is. Um, and uh, I, think he, I think the board has made mistakes in the past.
um, definitely keeping interest rates down as low as they did at just 0.1% was a mistake in hindsight. Uh, calling inflation transitory was, an, was a mistake in hindsight. Making bold claims that they will not lift interest rates until 2024 was a big mistake in hindsight. Uh, and look, everyone makes mistakes and it's an extraordinarily challenging and difficult job, a job I'm glad I do not have. Uh, but nevertheless, if your job is to risk manage the economy, um, you would have to say low hasn't been right up to scratch on it. He has been fighting global inflation and defending Philip Lowe is one of the least popular jobs in society at the moment, but he is fighting global inflation. So let's take this uh, a bit further. He was at the time that interest rates were, the cash rate was at 0.1%. Uh, he was facing uh, an economy and a society that was locked down. Yes, um, that's right. Uh, so he had extraordinary set of circumstances. And when brutally tough decisions um, have had to be made, he's made them. There were points during this interest rate um, hiking cycle where a lot of people said he's overdone it here, he's broken the back of the economy, um, this is ridiculous. And if I can say in defence of Philip Lowe, the only mistake that I think that he might have made with his interest rate settings is that he paused in April and inadvertently set off a round of confidence that he'd prefer he hadn't. So his, 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 his most recent mistake, in my view, aside from his very poor communication skills, um, has been not increasing um, rates in April, which it might have done a better job of containing inflation. Is, is that a fair assessment of, of where he's at or is that uh, unfair? No, look, that's a reasonable assessment, but I, I, I think um, the, the reason why we're in this situation in the first place was the RBA's lack of foresight in terms of the inflation issue. I think inflation, right from the start, to me, I think the indicators are suggesting inflation wasn't transitory. So you mentioned the word foresight. Now, yeah. I never hear these guys use the word foresight. Mm. They only use the phrase data dependent. Mm. And I think that's one of the great frustrations is watching all central banks at play, is they all say we're data dependent. Yeah. And it's like everybody knows that if you leave the cash rate at 0.1% while the property market's charging, at some stage down the track, you're going to have an asset bubble, yeah. an inflation issue. Spot on. But, but why, why, is this, why, is, why is foresight or anticipation never part of these um, central banks modelling? Because America went through the same thing. Well, this is true. And, and, the, and all this, I mean, it's an extraordinarily difficult job. In, yeah. in, in many res respects, um, we're expecting the RBA and other central bankers to predict the future. You know, um, so it, it is very, very difficult. Um, that said, though, it's, it's not so much about predicting the future. It's about risk management of the present and, and taking into account the various risks that are out there. And in hindsight, it's pretty clear they did not take into account the risk that this transitory inflation they spoke of was actually going to be a permanent thing. And that's what it turned out to be, a permanent thing. And I would argue that there was enough information to at least... Uh, conclude that that inflation was going to be permanent. Is there a chance, this is a bit of skullduggery now, but is yeah. there a chance that Labor say there's more ugly work to be done by the governor of the day, of the RBA? Yeah. Um, Philip Lowe um, is a big contributor to this, fairly or unfairly. Um, we'll leave him there to fix it. 
Well, Peter, you're more of a political expert than what I am. So <laughs> I'll rely on your view on that one. But I, I guess there might be a chance that they, they could do that. Uh, that I, I think there's a lot of community pressure to, to see some change. Yeah. Well, if we look at what happened in America is Jerome Powell was a Republican appointee. Yes. And when Biden came to power, yeah. um, early consensus was they'll move Jerome Powell on and put a Democrat appointee in there. But they've left Jerome Powell there knowing that whoever was the head of the Federal Reserve had a very tough job in front of them. So do, do you really want to put one of your own in, in that seat is, is the question I'd ask. That may well be the case or you could look at it in another way and say, hey, we are actually near the top of the interest rate rise cycle and so wouldn't it be good to have someone that's more of a friendly doing all the nice work over the next 24 months? Louis, um, the scenario that you've outlined today, if it does play out and, and, and there is a hard landing, we fall off the tightrope, as you say, um, how quickly, um, if at all, after we do fall, the, the economy does fall off the tightrope and the property market hits uh, uh, tough times, would the RBA consider cutting rates? Yes, uh, I think if it's clear that the unemployment rate is shooting up, getting up towards 5% or more, no doubt the RBA at that point will, will put the uh, pause on rates, unless inflation's still running at 7 to 8% then they'll still have that Is that, that what they tough. call stagflation? Yeah, very high much so. High, high unemployment, high inflation. So there's still a risk that that could play out. Um, so they may well be forced to keep the rates high, even while unemployment is rising. So the RBA, in a purest sense, uh, economic sense, are looking for an increase in unemployment, but not too much. Yeah. And as the unemployment's pushing up, they want to see uh, inflation trickling yeah. down by a proportional amount. But the issue in all this, Peter, though, is that they're pulling huge levers. You know, they're, they're pulling levers at the macro level, um, which you would argue, though, that some of these things require tactical decisions to get right. What are the levers we could pull that would potentially help us engineer the soft landing as opposed to this one big macro lever of interest rates. There are other levers that we could pull that may well help with this. And that's where Philip Lowe sort of, uh, I don't know if wine's the right uh, word, but he you know, ruminates over that he's only got one instrument, which is a blunt instrument to play with every month. And he, he, you get the sense that he's, he's, he's said to both the former Liberal government and the current Labor government, I need, I, need, I need more help finessing the economy. And he does, and he's right in, in making that point. Yeah. Louis, um, cutting across to the rental market, um, the government um, have let 400, well, invited 400,000 um, uh, people into the country uh, as new arrivals. Yes. And that's putting tremendous pressure on uh, uh, every aspect of society, right down to uh, the coffee line. Yes. Um, how will that play out in the rental market going forward from here? Well, it's the primary reason why we've got a rental crisis. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got uh, the population growing at over half a million a year at this point in time. Over the past 12 months, we've, we've completed about 170,000 dwellings, 180,000 dwellings. So, and normally it's, it's roughly about two and a half persons per dwelling. So we haven't really built enough over the past 12 months to take into account the, the rapid growth in population. Now, we know going forward, looking at the building approvals, we're set to build less than 170,000 going forward. Yet, the budget forecasts are we'll have another half a million people. We'll grow by another half a million people over the next 12 months. 
So the shortage is going to stay with us for some time. Well, it's actually going to get more acute, yeah? It's going to get more acute. Now, in an economic downturn, what will happen will be this. People will be forced to share more. We will see a rise in homelessness. Uh, there, there's no question about that. Uh, in an economic downturn, of course, job creation stalls. And so with strong migration in that environment, you have a lot of people immediately going to the dole queues. Um, and so I, I strongly argue that what we need to do is we need to manage our migration rates. That's not to say we, we don't have migration or anything like that, but we should use it as an economic tool. There are a time when you ramp up. There is a time when you ramp up migration and there is a time when you need to cap it, you need to manage, and I would argue that time is now. Should more be done to send um, these new arrivals to cities other than Sydney and Melbourne, or is... Absolutely, and, and we, we had a grand opportunity during COVID to really go hard with our regions, our regional townships, where there was a population flow to our regional townships. But our data is pretty clear on this. The flow is now coming back to the cities once again. So return to office is... Return really to office. Whereas what we could have done at the time was really spend money in our regional townships to build infrastructure, to really, to really build out these towns. The United States, while you could argue right now is not having the best of times, certainly over the past 200 years, one of the reasons for their success was the growth of inland towns, these in, small inland towns turning into mega cities. Uh, and that helped a lot with the country. And that's something that we should be aiming for long term in my view. Uh, Louis, covering off the end of the year, what segments of the Sydney market do you think will perform best, notwithstanding the challenges in front of all property markets at the moment? Okay, so the, the current trends that we're seeing right now where there's been a recovery, particularly for freestanding houses, I think we might see that for the next month or so, but that'll be it. Um, and then the expectation is when we get to the spring selling season uh, that we're likely to see some new falls in housing prices. The top end of the market will keep moving up until such point that we see an economic slowdown in the Sydney economy. So therefore, that's what's driving the top end, the strong economic environment, not yes. so much anything to do with the interest rates of the That's market. right. Now, you would know that, look, the top end of the market, normally you see cash buyers yes. that are less affected by immediate moves in interest rates, but they are heavily influenced by what the economy is doing, how their small to medium-sized business is performing how an executive's um, company that they're looking after is performing. Uh, that has an impact upon the top end of the market. Louis, coming back to your four scenarios in closing, what do you think you'll be saying about the Sydney property market as far as a review goes when we get to December 31? <laughs> Good question. Well, I suspect we'll be talking about new falls in housing prices and how the financial year of, of 2024 is looking pretty negative. Uh, we will most likely talk about when will the RBA cut if they haven't cut already and what that could mean for the market. And they'll be very much dependent upon, well, how deep is the downturn? Have we managed to pull off a soft landing in the economy or have we got a recession on our hands? So you're uh, in summary there and just picking up on a subtlety, if the RBA are cutting interest rates, that's not a good sign overall. Yeah, so if, if, we're, if we've gone into a severe economic downturn, you might recall, once again, we look, go back to 1990 to 1992, it took a long time for confidence to return. So the RBA was cutting rates um, and the economy didn't initially respond to that. 
Uh, Louis, the New South Wales government, the new New South Wales government, have taken a different view to housing supply. They feel that we should be building up with medium density closer to the city rather than, as Chris Minns says, adding a new street in Western Sydney every week. Do you have a view on what's a better way to go? Should we, we, we be building up in the middle of Sydney or should we be continuing to build further out as has been the trend over the last 50 years? Well, given the current population growth rates, we should be doing both. Uh, so yeah, we, we do need to build up our inner city areas, but we need to do it in a way where we don't create slums. Uh, that's important because if, we, if we're not careful in terms of how we build, we will create slums. Um, so look, at this rate, we, we definitely need to do both. And I just find it sort of kind of ironic that some of these tills I've noticed of late have come out with their own sort of housing ideas, but I bet you it doesn't include density building in their local area. NIMBYism is alive and well. <laughs> Louis, great wrap today. Thanks very much. And we'll uh, look forward to seeing how the Sydney property market uh, finishes 2023. Thanks, Peter. And thank you for joining us today on Talking Property. We look forward to speaking with you next time. Thank <laughs> you.